Hey guys, welcome back. In this episode, we delve into a topic of utmost importance, one that is often obscured by shadows and painful silence, but also one I haven't really touched on before. Today we'll confront the chilling reality of teen dating violence, a hidden epidemic that shatters lives, leaving indelible scars in its wake. Teen dating violence is an issue that transcends borders and socioeconomic backgrounds, infiltrating the lives of countless young individuals. It's a relentless force that doesn't discriminate, leaving a trail of heartache and trauma in its path. Today, you'll learn about the harsh reality teen dating violence has thrust Destiny Version's loved ones into. I'm Renetta Rideout. And this is Massage Noir Murders. Shortly before 7 p.m. on September 22, 2018, it was a typical Saturday night in Columbus, Georgia, with people driving to and from their weekend destinations. Two drivers sitting at a red light at the eastbound intersection of Macon and Rigdon Roads, everything was normal until the screaming began. As dozens of people looked through their vehicles' windows to see where the screams came from, a young woman, who didn't look like she could be more than 20 years old at best, was seen running west through the street, screaming frantically for help. She ran from car to car, hoping to get in through an unlocked door. Before people could even fully grasp what was happening, a young man emerged from a car, stopped at the red light, and he chased the young woman. Then moments later, gunshots rang out. The screaming intensified and then abruptly stopped. The man made a beeline back to the vehicle and sped off through the intersection, leaving the young woman where she lay and a road full of traumatized witnesses. By the time the emergency services arrived, it was clear the young woman was suffering from multiple gunshot wounds. She was rushed to the Piedmont Columbus Regional Hospital, where sadly, she succumbed to her wounds at 7.45 and was pronounced deceased. Due to the circumstances of her death, her remains were transported to the crime lab in Decatur, Georgia for a full autopsy by the coroner. Meanwhile, back at the crime scene, police were busy interviewing motorists and passengers on the road, trying to gather any information they could about what happened. Some people only heard screaming or the gunshots, while others saw the whole thing. From what the police could put together from witness statements and a recording of the incident filmed by a witness at the intersection, the young woman emerged from a silver 2004 Nissan Maxima in a panic. She was desperately calling out for help while being chased by the driver of that car on foot. Witnesses said they watched horrified as the man eventually caught up to the young woman, firing multiple gunshots, and then fleeing to the car and leaving the scene. Since the young woman didn't have any identification on her, police didn't know who she was, 
And without that information, finding out exactly what happened and who was responsible would be a challenge. Luckily, they interviewed another young woman who witnessed the shooting, and she recognized both the victim and the shooter from her high school, Carver High School. She identified them as her former high school classmate, 18-year-old Destiny Version, and her senior boyfriend, Markel Andrew Irvin. The witness even directed the police to Markel's Facebook page, where he went by the alias FBJ Cricket. With this critical information now known, homicide detectives had a solid place to begin their investigation. Destiny's mother, Michelle Version, was absolutely crushed to learn what happened to her one and only child. She arrived at the home she shared with Destiny only to find the door had been kicked in, her pistol gone, and her precious daughter missing. She told investigators that her daughter had been in a violent and abusive relationship with Markel before a restraining order was eventually obtained against him. Come to find out, earlier that year, Markel kidnapped Destiny and held her against her will for nearly 48 hours. Five months prior to the shooting, on Wednesday, April 25th, Destiny agreed to go on a dinner date with her then-boyfriend, Markel. Michelle was never a fan of Markel's and truly just wished that he would disappear from her daughter's life because his presence seemed to have a negative effect on Destiny. She wasn't quite her usual bubbly self anymore. She became intense and seemed on edge. This was likely due to Markel's controlling nature. He got to the point that he didn't even want Destiny to do anything or go anywhere that wasn't about or for or with him. He was jealous, unpredictable, and displayed violent tendencies. Being from a family with military ties and strong family values, Michelle knew that this young dude was far beneath her hardworking, goal-getting daughter. But the more Michelle tried to prevent their relationship, the more bruises their relationship took. So reluctantly, Michelle allowed her then 17-year-old Destiny to go on the date with the agreement that she was to be home by 9.30 that night. But 9.30 came and went, and Destiny still hadn't come home. When Michelle called Destiny's phone, her calls went unanswered, causing a pit of worry to grow on her stomach. Destiny was always a responsible teen, having successfully held down a job throughout high school and a prominent JROTC member with the future destined in the Navy. She wouldn't deliberately disregard her curfew, nor would she allow her mother's calls to roll over to voicemail without calling back. So when Michelle didn't hear back from Destiny by 5 a.m. the next morning, which was Thursday, she did what any logical parent would do and reported her missing. And I love it when I tell one of these stories and it seems like the authorities actually did their jobs because this time the police started looking for Destiny almost right away. Although it wasn't an all hands on deck sort of situation when the report first came in, the police didn't blow Michelle off for days and weeks accusing Destiny of being a runaway even though she actually had run away allegedly before. 
Instead, they began working to track her down that very same day, and they already had a solid lead. Destiny's phone signaled near a cell tower by Shirley Winston Park, a park in the city of Columbus. That ping led police straight to Markel's Hunt's house, where Destiny was found in the hallway of that home. And Markel was hiding under the bed like the coward he obviously is. As Destiny was ushered to safety, it was clear she'd sustained several injuries during her captivity, including a severely swollen black eye and scratches on her face. Markel was eventually charged with kidnapping and false imprisonment, and he was subsequently arrested on May 15th after police confronted him regarding another completely unrelated crime for firing a gun on Floyd Road. He was also charged with reckless conduct and possession of a gun under the age of 18. Unfortunately, he didn't stay jailed for long, despite the high price of a $50,000 bond because someone actually paid it and he was free to continue the harassment of Destiny on May 30th. Now, this was something that bothered me. This guy was charged, right, with a serious crime, but somehow he was eligible for bond. I mean, clearly he was a threat to Destiny, but also to the Columbus community. Why was he eligible for bond? Why did this judge think it was okay to put this guy back on the streets? I doubt I will ever fully understand that, and in part, yes, only in part, I blame the judicial system for everything that happens after this point in the story. When the kidnapping case finally had its day in court, Michelle testified that she tried to warn Destiny about the danger that engulfed Markel. It was obvious he wasn't good for her daughter, and she didn't want Destiny to have anything to do with him. As I mentioned earlier, Markel had become controlling. He wanted to be the center and sole focus of Destiny's life. The control got to the point that even attending family functions became difficult for Destiny. He'd always cause problems that would stress her out and make her anxious. Michelle told the court that this was not the only time Markel had hurt Destiny. It was known that the two had a toxic and abusive relationship and he'd previously quote unquote beat up on Destiny. And I just want to interject in this narrative again to point out that what Michelle witnessed Destiny experience is exactly what one in every three teens experiences in their young relationships. And according to youth.gov on the topic of teen dating violence, only 33% of those abused teens confide in their parents. So the fact that Michelle even knew what was going on is pretty rare and it speaks to the strong relationship she had with Destiny, despite Markel's attempts to ruin it. Anyway, I digress. Thankfully, the kidnapping incident seemed to be the wake-up call Destiny needed to realize her relationship with Markel was dangerous. She and her mom took the necessary steps to keep Markel away from them by obtaining a protective order, aka a restraining order, that is intended to help protect victims from abuse and stalking. I assume that for a while the PO worked because I wasn't able to find any additional incidents involving Markel and Destiny until that fateful September day. 
Now that detectives have a full understanding of the relationship and dynamic between Destiny and her alleged killer, they set out to find Markel, who'd fled the crime scene in Destiny's car, the gray-silver Nissan with paper tags. Not long after he got away, did neighboring Harris County inform investigators that there was a report of the Nissan and someone matching Markel's description. Apparently, Markel needed to use the phone and went to a random house in Harris County. However, as fate would have it, the house he approached to ask if he could use their phone actually belonged, get this, to an off-duty cop. <laughs> what are the odds? Maybe the cop had heard about the shooting in Columbus, or perhaps he just had, I don't know, a gut feeling that something was wrong because this random dude just walked up to his house wanting to use his phone in the cell phone era, might I add. But whatever it was made the officer attempt to detain Markel, igniting a tussle between the two. Unfortunately, Markel got away on foot, running into the woods, prompting the officer to call in what just occurred. With the Harris County Sheriff's Department now fully engaged, they looked for Markel in the vast woods that surrounded the area. He managed to evade them, but not for long because the next morning, he was under arrest for a misdemeanor offense, likely related to the scuffle with the off-duty officer. However, I wasn't able to confirm exactly what the charge was. And not long after that arrest, the police come across the abandoned 2004 Nissan that matched the description of Destiny's car. At that point, Markel was taken into custody and ultimately transferred back to Columbus where he was subsequently charged with Destiny's murder. Now, you'd think this would be a slam dunk case considering how much evidence and eyewitness accounts of the murder there were, but it wasn't that simple. Destiny was gunned down in September 2018, and it would be nearly three years before any semblance of justice would be had. I'm not sure what initially slowed things down, but by the time the district attorney was ready to take this case to trial, COVID-19 had arrived and everything shut down. All the while, Michelle, Destiny's mom, never stopped advocating for her beloved daughter. She attended every hearing via Zoom with a large photo of Destiny clearly visible to all who could see it. Her goal was to keep Destiny front and center so that the judge never lost sight of who and what was lost when Markel decided to take her daughter's life. Michelle rallied support from the community by continuously granting interviews to reporters in an effort to keep her daughter's name in the forefront of the community's mind, in addition to wanting to raise awareness about the dangers involved with teen dating violence. Destiny's tragic story is not uncommon, and Michelle wanted to use her family's supreme loss as a cautionary tale for other young people who may be experiencing some of the warning signs of dating violence. She refused to just lie down and let grief overwhelm her and overcome her, even though her loss was consuming. 
Destiny was her only child, and they were more than just mother and daughter. They were friends. In May 2021, the case finally got some movement, but instead of a full-on trial for murder, unbeknownst to Michelle, the prosecutor offered Markel a plea deal. Basically, the deal was that he had to admit to killing Destiny in exchange for the opportunity for parole in 35 years. That means that after serving the core sentence, he'd have the opportunity to walk the streets again, free to live his life. He'd be a man in his 50s by then and would have a chance that Destiny never would. Needless to say, this was a slap in Michelle's face and to all of Destiny's family and friends. It was unfair that this young man who'd clearly been a menace to society would have the opportunity to re-enter the same community he terrorized. Who knows the type of person he'll be by then after having served more than three decades in prison. Michelle and her family tried to convey their dissatisfaction with this plea deal when the case finally had its day in court. She, her mother, and Destiny's friends and other loved ones begged the judge to give Markel life in prison without the possibility of parole. But ultimately, their pleas fell upon deaf ears. On May 27, 2021, the judge ruled to enforce the plea deal and Markel was sent to prison to begin his sentence. Even though Destiny's killer is behind bars, that sliver of justice will never bring her back, which is what everyone wants. Michelle has spent years trying to put her best foot forward following Destiny's death, and she continues to work diligently in the domestic violence space, using Destiny's story to help prevent other families and kids from experiencing the same fate. I came to know of what happened to Destiny because of the work Michelle does now. When we were planning the mother's brunch, Shalissa Collier, Mike Yana Johnson's mother, came into contact with Michelle. Although she wasn't able to attend the brunch, she was able to speak with Shalissa so they could share and offer each other love and support. Shalissa then shared their story with me and that's how we got here today. As a mom myself, to a teenage daughter, I have all the fears in the world for my girl. With so many stories like this one, I worry endlessly about the day she will date some young man. The possibility of her encountering dating violence is so high and it terrifies me. There's only so much preparing and informing one can do because ultimately the responsibility is on the person who decides to enact violence on another. As I prepared for this episode, I came across truly alarming facts about teen dating violence that shocked me and did nothing at all to settle my fears. So naturally I decided, let me share that here. According to the 2010 National Intimate Partner and Sexual Violence Survey, 69% of women surveyed shared that they experienced intimate partner violence before the age of 24. And get this, 22% of those women experienced it as young as 11 years old through their 17th year. So they were babies experiencing that. And for men, 54% experienced it 
before the age of 24, with 15% experiencing it from age 11 through 17. Listen, these numbers are absolutely astounding and speak to the supreme crisis surrounding our kids in the United States. It's no wonder domestic violence in general is so profound. Look at how young our children are when they're exposed to it first-handedly. And then there's the fact that once victims are in the abuse cycle, they have to try to leave it seven times before they leave for good, if they ever can. Remember, the most dangerous time in an abusive relationship is when the victim tries to free themselves from the abuse. In Destiny's case, she and her mother did all the right things. She told her mom and loved ones. They sought help. They got a restraining order. The relationship ended. They did all the things. And still, this boy was able to take her life in the end. Markel didn't want Destiny to have a life if it didn't center him. Destiny had so much promise ahead of her. She was heading to the Navy, which was a lifelong dream that she worked towards all through high school. It was a dream that would never be fulfilled because of one person's evil act. I can't help but wonder what exactly he'd been exposed to as a child considering those statistics I mentioned before. Clearly violence and bad behavior was normalized for him, right? From what I could make out from the articles I read about him, it wasn't clear that he had any positive male role models in his life. From what I gathered, he looked to the streets for that, and well, we all know no good can come from that. I also read that the women in his life, his mom and his aunt specifically referenced in articles, enabled him and maybe even helped him in some circumstances, such as in Destiny's kidnapping. While I do wholeheartedly believe that he is where he belongs and probably shouldn't ever have the chance to get out, I also feel sad for him. At the end of the day, he was also a kid. A violent kid, but a kid nonetheless. And he lived in a normalized environment of violence. I wonder what kind of life he could have had if he wasn't exposed to whatever it was he'd been exposed to. Would Destiny now be in the Navy, living her best life? Would her family be brimming with pride and love instead of perpetual mourning? I guess we'll never know. If you or someone you know is enduring the pains of dating violence, intimate partner violence, or domestic violence, please know you're not alone. There are people equipped to help you safely escape. If you're in the Columbus, Georgia area, you can call the Hope Harbor Crisis Line at 706-324-3850. And regardless of where you are in the United States, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 800-799-7233. Okay, if you happen to have stuck around after that episode, kudos to you. You get to hear the bonus thought. 
So this sort of just came to me while I was actually preparing to record this episode and I thought, hey, why don't I leave them with just some final random thoughts? I realized that I haven't really connected with y'all in a more meaningful and personal way. So take these bonus thoughts as an opportunity to get to know me. So sometimes people ask me how I handle reading and talking about true crime. I mean, it's not like we're discussing the weather, right? Isn't it too much? And don't you get depressed? Are two of the most common questions I'm asked. And it's usually followed up with a couldn't be me statement. <laughs> I get it. It is hard, especially if you're an empathic person as I am. If I don't take care of my emotional and mental well-being, then I could be catapulted into a state of depression. And believe me, it's a delicate balance and it's a battle that I don't always win. But I've come to realize that one of the ways I do cope and stabilize my resolve is by leaning into my relationships. I am totally replenished after doing something fun with my daughter or having a good conversation with my sister or friend. Indulging in the spirit of my nurturing relationships is one of the ways I practice self-care and I have to practice it a little bit more when I'm doing the podcast consistently. So today before I recorded this episode, I spoke to my friend Amaris. You know, you may remember her from the discussion episodes about Shanquella Robinson and Kajira Fraze. She is just so fucking funny. And she always says just the exact thing I need to hear to lighten my mood. After laughing it up with her and getting caught up with each other's lives, I felt reinforced in a way to record this episode, plus three more. <laughs> I already had the plan to do it, but indulging in some friend time really helped me see it through. So ladies, if you're looking for a way to exercise self-care that doesn't cost a thing and gives you way more bang, cultivate those relationships and let the love surrounding you be the source of your smile. This is a Savvy Sounds production, written and produced by Renetta Rideout.